What if? What if God could use a pandemic? What if, instead of being scattered, seeds are being planted? What if what your neighbor really needs is the hope that you have? What if you could minister to others? What if we could refocus? What if the church were to awaken? Well, good morning, Westside. I am Pastor Phil from Abundant Life. I'm thrilled to get to be a part of your service this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever overslept for anything? I mean, seriously, have you ever overslept for something, uh, maybe gotten woken up and realized you were late for something? Well, it was the 1990s. Long before I knew I'd be a pastor, I was actually a member of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. I was a police officer, SWAT cop. Early on, I was like brand new, a rookie on the streets. I worked from midnight to eight. And they taught us in the academy, it is a really, really big deal if you miss your radio call from the dispatcher. I mean, it's a big, big deal. In fact, if you miss three calls from the dispatcher when they're trying to call you, it is such a big deal that every single officer in town is going to be looking for you. And you're in like lots and lots of trouble. Well, I'm new on the streets. It's about three o'clock in the morning. And it was kind of routine when the radio settled down and the calls kind of died off that you'd find your way into a parking lot somewhere and you'd start working on your reports. And of course, three or four o'clock in the morning, the city kind of dies down, gives you a chance to kind of catch up. Well, on one night, I remember being really, really tired, really exhausted. I lean the seat back and I think I'm just going to maybe rest for a minute. And all of a sudden, uh, I, I'm sleeping and I'm dreaming. And in my dream, I'm hearing my radio number, 135. Are you there? 135, calling radio 135, 135, are you there? 135, answer your radio. And all of a sudden I hear a, and I, and I jump up and I'm awake all of a sudden and it was my buddy, my partner, who knew where I was. He knew the place I like to go and kind of get tucked away and write my reports. And he wakes me up. He says, hey, man, they're calling you. The dispatcher's been looking for you. And of course, I hey, 135, I'm awake. And suddenly I was awake. I mean, I was wide awake. Now you understand why I'm asking you this this morning, because we're in a series beginning today that'll go for three weeks, including today. And it's called Awaken because it is time to awaken. It is time for the body of Christ to awaken. You see, she was calling my number, but I was sleeping and I wasn't listening. I'm personally convinced that God has been calling our number, but we have not listened. It is time to awaken. The alarm bell has been ringing, but the body of Christ hasn't been listening. 
And I'm personally convinced that's what this COVID-19 pandemic is all about. When you understand that God is sovereign and this has not taken him by surprise, he has allowed this season to get our attention so that we might fully awaken. And I can't wait for my church to hear from your pastor next week, Randy Frazee, as we continue this series on revival and awakening. Randy is a personal friend. I look up to him so deeply. One of the great Christian leaders of our generation of our nation. God has brought him to the city for such a time as this. And then week three, you're going to hear from our personal friend, Jim Simbola, who of course is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, author of the best-selling book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. His wife, of course, leads the six-time Grammy award-winning Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Now, why have we partnered for a series like this? Because we're convinced that if the body of Christ will awaken, it's going to be about more than one church and more than one city and more than one community. It's a broad movement of the Spirit of God upon the people of God everywhere. And it's time that He gets our attention and that we fully sit up and listen lest we face devastation. That was the days of Joel. If you have your Bible, would you open please to the Old Testament book of Joel? And in the days of Joel, we discover a very similar time in his nation as we are facing currently in our nation. It was a time of national cataclysm. As you open up in Joel chapter 1, you discover that there is a famine and it's a plague of locusts that have come upon the land, and God calls them his army metaphorically, and he sent this plague of locusts to give them a wake-up call spiritually. And I'm convinced this is what God is trying to do in our lives personally, in our churches individually, and all across our country. It says these words in Joel chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. It says, What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. He says, awake, he's ringing the bell. He says, you drunkards and weep and wail all you drinkers of wine because the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. What do we know? Historically, God has brought cataclysm on nations when they needed to spiritually awaken. Listen, if you want to see what God is doing, just look for what God has done. If you want to see where God is going, just look where God has been. The, same, the way you see into the future is by peering into the past. God is a God of patterns. And we see a pattern here in the book of Joel. The people of God needed to be awakened, and so he allowed this famine. Now, I want you to understand, these were the days before the New York stock market and 401ks and mutual funds and retirement funds. These were the days when a nation's economy was driven by the crops and the flocks and individuals' personal wealth materially. His ability to feed his family was directly relational to his ability agriculturally, completely dependent on the crops and the flocks. And one of the things that would strike fear in the heart of any ancient people was a plague of locusts. When the locusts would come, they would strip the land bare of anything green. That means they had no crops and they had no food for their flocks. And I'm trying to tell you, we think what well, we you know, make a rush on the grocery store because there's going to be no toilet paper when we get there. Imagine to go into the grocery store week after week after week and there's no food to buy when you get there. 
I mean, that was the real-life situation for Joel and his nation. It was a devastating situation. And what we learn historically is that when God wants to bring spiritual awakening, he will allow at times upon that people a cataclysm, some type of maybe famine or an economic recession. And we can even see later in the life of Israel how they went into idolatry and God would bring judgment on them through the hands of their enemies. And I want you to see as it was in the days of Joel, so it is in our days personally. There is a famine in the land. I don't mean a physical famine. No, I mean a spiritual famine. It is a moral famine that we are facing now as a nation. It's a moral famine and a spiritual famine because we as the people of God are facing a famine in the house of God. There is no bread in the house of God. There's a famine in our land. And as the church goes, so goes the nation. Since 1970, we've seen a 560% increase in violent crime, a 400% increase in juvenile arrest, a 200% increase in teenage suicide, soaring numbers of STDs among America's teens. One in four teenage girls in America has the STD, the HPV virus. Do you understand what we're seeing increasingly in America? Soaring rates of broken families and broken homes where over 40% of American children are not being raised by their biological father. Over 60% of babies in America born out of wedlock. I want you to see that we're seeing the disintegration of the very fabric of society. I'm talking about the family. And you see, the problem is not out there. The problem's in here. You see, as the church goes, so goes the nation. Jesus said that we, you and me, we're the salt of society. We're the salt of the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith shall it be savored? It's good for nothing but to be thrown on the ground and trodden underfoot by men. Jesus was teaching, listen, as salt was a preservative in his day, we are to be a preservative in our day. As Christians, as the body of Christ, we're to be the salt of the earth, meaning we are to preserve our society from complete moral decay. You see, in Jesus' day, salt was a commodity, and it wasn't just to you know, salt your tacos and your chips and salsa. No, it was a very important commodity because it was the only way to preserve meat from decay in an age before refrigeration. And they would take salt and they, they, they would rub it on meat and then that would in some way cure it so they could preserve it. But he was saying, listen, if the salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. He's saying, look, you and I as Christians, as the body of Christ, as the church, we're to be that salty preservative upon society. If society is falling into moral and spiritual decay, it's not because of what's out there, it's because of what's in here. And that's why he's trying to bring awakening to the body of Christ, a move of the Holy Spirit, supernatural, indescribable, undeniable, because we're not as salty as we used to be, and we're not shining the light like we ought to be. And that's why Ephesians 5.14, it says, Awake you who sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
And these are indeed evil days in which we live. People have asked me since this all began, Pastor Phil, could it be that God is judging our nation? Sweet friends, why wouldn't God judge our nation? What kind of God would we have if he didn't judge our nation? A nation where over 51 million times we have reached into a woman's womb and snuffed out the human life of the most innocent among us since 1973 and done it legally in the most barbaric of ways. A, a, a nation that has over and over again redefined what God has said about sexuality and morality. And we have winked at sin and called it a sitcom. And we have glorified perversion and called it freedom of expression. Why wouldn't God judge our nation? You see, we need to awaken. And that's the very condition of Joel's nation. And that's why Joel now puts pen to paper under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because he's trying to awaken his nation. Listen very carefully. We live at a time of idolatry. The idolatry of money, the idolatry of sex and sensuality, the idolatry of a sports-crazed society. Do you understand? I'm convinced personally it's like God has put us in time out. He said, just sit there. You're in timeout. Think about this for just a moment. We're not going to any sports games, are we? No NBA, no NCAA, no March Madness this year. No Major League Baseball season. They're wondering if there's going to be even an NFL football season. No movie theaters are open. Hey, we worship the sports stars and the movie stars and the pop stars. Nobody's gone to a concert lately, have they? So God has said, no, I want to get your attention. I want you to fully awaken before you go through a time of ruin. You see, I'm convinced it's easy to talk about everything that's wrong in the White House or everything that's wrong in the schoolhouse. But God says, no, it's about your house. It's about my house. Because as the church goes, so goes the nation. Revival doesn't begin out there. Revival, it begins in here. And that's why he says, awake you who sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. That's the message from Joel. The day of the Lord is at hand. He says, no, I want to get your attention so you no longer live lives of complete distraction. I've made this observation for many years, 20 years now of being a pastor. I'm convinced if God could get people's attention for 10 minutes, he could bring revival to our nation. But he doesn't get our attention for 10 minutes. We can't give him 10 minutes. We're distracted. Listen very carefully. If Satan cannot bring your destruction, he will settle for your distraction. And in your distraction, he is bringing about your slow destruction. See, I'm convinced personally God has allowed this on our nation. Why? Because he's called a timeout to our little busy lives of self-importance and self-sufficiency and self-focus and self-centeredness in this selfie society. Because it's not too late for God to save our nations. It's not too late for God to save your marriage. It is not too late for God to save your family. It is not too late for God to save your children. It is not too late for God to save our city. But he's got to get our attention. He must bring about an awaken. Because we very much are living at a time where we are busy, busy, busy. But we're not seeing God moving, moving, moving. 
We live in a time of church history. I'm convinced the seventh and last stage of church history represented by the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter three. You know what Jesus said to the Laodiceans? He said these words, I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I will spew you. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say you are rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing, but no, not yet. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodicean church of the first century is very much a picture of the modern church of Western society, outwardly a thing of beauty and material prosperity, but inwardly bankrupt, spiritually. Oh, they were a thing of beauty and they were very, very busy. But they were eroding inwardly. They were full of apathy and complacency. They were slumbering. They were sleeping. Sweet friends, God has been calling our number over and over again. But like my night out there in the night of the streets of Kansas City, I was sleeping and I wasn't listening and I needed to be awakened. She was calling my number again and again and again. God is calling your number. He's calling my number. The question is, will we listen? And in the days of Joel, God was calling their number. He wants to get our attention in this divine interruption. No longer living lives of distraction, slowly going to our destruction. Because he wants us to awaken. And 1 Peter 4, 17 says, The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. It's got to begin here. It's got to begin with me. It's got to begin with you personally. We will live to see national revival or we will live to see national ruin. That is why we must awaken. Listen, prayer and repentance is the pathway to revival. And I'm convinced God has given us a pathway right here. As we look for a path into the future, all we have to do is look at the pathway to the past. Revival would come to Joel's nation. They would indeed awake and look at what it says here in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 it says this now therefore says the Lord turn to me with your heart and that's what God wants he wants our heart he says turn to me with your heart with fasting with weeping and with mourning so rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. I want you to see what Joel writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his people. And I'm convinced it's just as relevant for you and me. Now, I know theologically, America is not in a covenant relationship with God as ancient Israel was. No, we're not a theocracy, but there's a template here. There's a pattern to follow here. And I'm convinced that pattern is just as live today. God says, turn to me. Hey, quit rending your garments outwardly and rend your heart inwardly. What does that mean? Well, culturally in the ancient days, the ancient Hebrews would literally tear their clothes as a sign of lamenting over sin, as a sign of, uh, of repenting of sin. But what God was saying is, hey, quit tearing your clothes. You're just going through the motions outwardly. You're just going through the motions religiously. It doesn't mean anything because I can see your heart inwardly. And what he's saying to you and I today, and we're going to walk around ripping our clothes off, but we will walk around singing songs with our lips that we deny with our lives. 
Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Is he? Is he really? Do you mean that seriously? You see, we still go through the motions of a Sunday event. What's amazing to me is hear how many Christians that have complained about government encroaching on their civil liberties and not allowing churches to meet on site and to gather uh, uh, literally uh, in the church house. I just find that honestly amazing when we consider that according to all the social science, that the most committed church members among us don't go to church more than 1.8 times a month already. No, we, we go occasionally when it's convenient. We, we have a faith out of convenience. It's, it's a faith that has more fashion than passion. It's a faith that is more cozy than costly. It's a quick trip Christianity. We want it cheap and easy. And God is saying, hey, quit going through the motions outwardly and rend your heart inwardly. Let your heart break for the things that break the heart of God. You see, that's the beginning of revival. Now listen, we don't get there by ourselves. I can't get there by myself. My heart is too cold and too carnal and too calloused. The only way you get there is to spend time in God's presence and time with God in prayer. As you begin to pray, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. And God, convict me of my sin. Convict me of my apathy spiritually. Only then is there a true Holy Spirit awakening. And that's what he's saying here to the ancient Hebrews. Turn to me with all your heart, not just part of your heart, not for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday when you go through the motions of a weekend event. He says, turn to me with your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. He's talking about repentance. Not just being sorry for our sin or the consequences of sin, but truly repentant of our sin and that we have sinned before a holy, righteous, sinless God. We've compromised again and again and again and again. The church is in the world to change the world, but too much of the time the world has gotten in the church and changed the church. We as Christians, the salt of society, are in the world to radically transform the world, but instead they have transformed us. Instead of shining the light, we've simply adjusted our eyes to see at night, into the 50 shades of gray, our society is now in. He's saying, let God break your heart for what breaks his heart. Don't just go through the motions outwardly. Let God do a work inside of you inwardly. He says, return to the Lord your God. And that's what we need to do. We need to return, not just to church. Listen, there's going to come a day very soon. You're going to return to the church house, but you can return to church and not return to God. He's saying, return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Listen, God doesn't want to fry us. He wants to forgive us. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to help us. And I want to challenge you to do what I'm doing and thousands of others all across this land to begin praying daily, twice a day at exactly 7.14 a.m. and exactly 7.14 p.m. Set a reminder on your phone and begin praying with me and thousands of others in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7.14 where God made this promise to his people where he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayer from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal 
their land. Sweet friends, God wants to heal our land, but before he heals our land, he's got to heal our hearts. He's got to heal our homes. And he makes a promise if we repent and return, God promises to revive us and awaken us. This is what he said to the church at Ephesus, the church that left their first love, a church that labored for him. Listen, twice in Revelation chapter 2, as he commends the church at Ephesus, he commends them for their labor. And I know that Westside is a laboring church. Abundant Life is a laboring church. We are laboring for Jesus. But did you know they left their first love? Do you understand that what God really wants is not simply our labor? He wants our love. He wants to be our first love, not second, not third. And for many of us, we have too many lovers. We have too many commitments. We have given our heart to so many things instead of giving a heart to the main thing and the only thing. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to be just another one of your commitments in an already overcommitted weekend. He wants to be life, not just a part of life. And he said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. And that in some way is what God is telling Joel's people in his day. And God is promising an end times revival. Joel sees the very days in which we're now living. I'm convinced as he looks through the corridors of time, as one of the ancient Hebrew prophets, he promises and prophesies an end times revival. We're praying for revival. And this is the season of revival. In Joel chapter 2, and verse 28, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, in those days immediately preceding Christ's second coming, there is going to be worldwide revival. God is prophesying that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, all men, all women, all nations. And I'm convinced even now we're living to see in some way the fulfillment of this prophecy. We have missionaries all over the Middle East ministering to Muslims and very, very credible people. I promise they're not crazy. Very credible, theologically grounded and sound people are telling me more and more and more as I eyewitnesses that Muslims are coming to Christ in this very fashion through dreams and through visions. We are watching it happen. The fastest growing church in the world is the underground church in Iran. As Jesus is appearing to them in dreams and visions and Muslims are coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah. And I'm convinced in some way, while we're not in the tribulation, and this text has to do with the tribulation, those seven years right before Christ returns, we are close to the tribulation. The clock is ticking. And it's about to ring one last time. The question is, will we listen? Will we awaken? It was these very words in Joel 2 that Peter used to describe the events 
of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the day the church was born, as God poured out His Spirit on 120 people and they were filled with the power of God and filled with the presence of God to be a powerful witness for God. And thousands were added to the church. Don't you long to see it again? God can do it again. He's promised to do it again. No, I don't know that we will see the complete fulfillment of this prophecy, but Peter said on the day of Pentecost, it was a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. And these prophecies are never fulfilled in a single event, in a single day. I'm convinced we even now are living right on the line to see this revival begin in our day. The question is, will we repent and will we return Will we rend our hearts? That means to let God break our hearts for what breaks the heart of God. Will we listen and fully awaken before it's too late? Today, God will bring revival and pour out His Spirit on anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day if you've never called on the name of Jesus to bow right now and pray with me a prayer of faith, a prayer of salvation. Right where you sit, you can pray this with me right now. Just bow your head. God will hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sin. Revival will break forth in your heart right there in your home. Pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that I cannot get to heaven apart from you. Or perhaps there was a time I was near you, but I have wandered far from you. But God, today I've heard your word. I've heard the alarm. And I'm fully awakened. And today I return to you the God of my salvation. I claim this promise that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today I call on the name of Jesus, the one that died for my sin, the one that rose again. And I thank you, Lord, that you have the power to forgive my sin and give me a brand new destination and help me live fully awakened. Help me to never spiritually Fall asleep again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.